0: Bill What are we doing today? Who is this dude?
1: Well, uh today we are uh once again uh crossing the vast uh oceans and and the world and uh connecting with another uh great, you know, fitness and health uh uh professional and influencer down under. Uh so really honored to have uh, Morden Silva on today. Um I uh jumped on his podcast Oh, quite a while back now. I think it's been a few months. Had a great time, great conversation and wanted to get a chance to flip the script and introduce Martin to our audience and find out a little bit more uh, what he's all about. So uh, with that, Martin, welcome uh, to the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Why don't you give our audience a little bit of your background?
2: Thanks for the lovely intro there, Phil. And yes, fitness, essentially you hit the nail on the head, fitness I live breathe and eat it and I have done for the last basically two decades I'm I'm 36 now and I started off you know lifting weights when I was 15 16 to be honest and uh, always played sports from a young age coming from Wales in the UK I uh, just for the audience I live in Australia in Sydney but I moved here well I came here for a year 6 years ago and 6 years later here we are permanent resident here And that's what happens with a lot of British people. They come here, you know, they come here on their work and holiday visa, they never go back. Um, So yeah, always been into sports from a young age and got into basically personal training as well from a young age, from the age of 20. And yeah, fast forward 15, 16 years and, you know, I got into bodybuilding and all that kind of stuff as well, which, you know, if if we want to talk more on, we can. Um, But that's just a bit more about my career, you know, and I've, I've got an online transformation program now. So I kind of transitioned uh, my program online and it's more kind of like mentorship now and, uh, still fitness though, still helping people with nutrition and training. And, but we all know it's the mindset and the lifestyle stuff. It's kind of the combination of everything, which gets people, you know, sustainable results and stuff. So that's what my program's all about now, but yeah, so that's pretty much, uh, I could, I could go deeper into things and stuff, but that's pretty much just a, a long story short of, uh, of who I am and, uh, where I'm at now in the world in Sydney.
0: Well you've Great. done it you've done it the right way which is don't get unhealthy f- spend two or three decades eating crap and not exercising um so i would guess that your message to all the 16 year olds out there in our audience both of them would be <laughs> do it the right way but but i happen to know that the bulk of our audience is uh over 40 and probably hasn't done it the right way help those folks what's how do, what's the main message for those people who are have spent the last 20 or 25 years eating the typical crap sitting in an office getting more and more out of shape and have re- realized i've got to i've got to change the way i'm living That's
2: a great question.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because the good thing is, a lot of my clients, the average age of my client is around about between about 35 and 40, anyway. So that kind of, that's the kind of person that I work with generally, anyway, on average. So, yeah. And just to give a little bit of context, as well, it hasn't always been smooth sailing for me in terms of the relationship with food and everything else. I used to really struggle with this. And this is another thing which I think is going to help your audience, you know, whether they're younger or especially the ones over 40. I used to struggle with a poor relationship with food. I Did do bodybuilding for quite a few years, a natural bodybuilder. And as a result of that, of overly restricting and um where I was at mentally as well, because we all know, well, the reality is the, your relationship with food, a lot of the times it says more about your relationship with yourself than it does anything else. And at that point, I was essentially, you know, overeating and stuff a lot on the weekends, even when I wasn't competing. Um, it was it was it just went on for about two years where I was on the weekend is just, you know, self-sabotaging essentially, restricting too much in the week, you know, trying to eat, you know, quote unquote clean, right? As, as we used to say back then. And then I would just, you know, eat some processed foods on the weekend and get carried away, you know, cause those foods are designed to make us overeat. So I, thankfully for me, like I said, I've always trained. So I've always had that part locked down, but the nutrition stuff and the behaviors with food took me over a decade, to be honest, to kind of crack. Even when I was a personal trainer, um, so that part is challenging, but yeah, my message to to those people we're talking whoa,
0: to. Wait, wait, wait! I want I want to stop you there because that's go big, ahead. You're you're training nonstop since you're 16 years old, and I think for most of us the thought is, "Oh, I need to work out more. I'm not working out enough. I'm not working out the right way. I'm not, you know, something." And yet you're saying, "Here's this guy who's a bodybuilder, which you know is kind of." Uh, we would all like to look like a Greek statue, um, but you say you had a bad relationship with food. How did that affect your health? And 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 talk about yeah. Let's dive like deeper into that because there's an awful lot of us who think if I if I work out hard enough, then what I eat will
2: will be far less important. I love talking about this, Jack, because it's really important for people to understand that I've met a lot of people as well not to go too far left but I've met a lot of people obviously back in my 20s I'm 36 now the bodybuilding stuff just to clarify was quite a while ago back in my late 20s I met a lot of bodybuilders and stuff like that and people within that industry and I saw more uh, eating disorders uh, poor relationship with food and essentially imbalanced lifestyles than I've seen in you know the hundreds of people that I've coached over the years and to be honest most of the people I've coached the people I'm speaking to just Gen pop, generally, generally anyway, and uh, not necessarily bodybuilders. So it's not always about, you know, we judge a book by its cover, that's what we do naturally, but that can be very misleading as well, right? So I was in great shape. To be honest, I, I look good aesthetically, you know, people were even, you know, giving me praise, but they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. So how did that affect me? Essentially, just to give a bit of context again, for about two years, what would happen, the weekend would come around uh, after I started the bodybuilding stuff, be, it's not healthy. It's not a healthy thing to do, right? Just to let people know with bodybuilding, even if you do it naturally, I've never taken steroids or anything like that. It's not a healthy thing to do f- for the body because you're getting down to like, you know, three, 4% body fat or wherever it was on the calipers uh, that comes at a price. So what would happen is I didn't really know what I was doing. I hadn't got to the point where I was really in a position to do a bodybuilding comp. If I could have a conversation with my younger self you know, I just jumped into it. And anyway, so what would happen? I would do the bodybuilding comp, then I would rebound, uh, what I call a symptom eruption, right? I would restrict and suppress all these you know, symptoms of wanting to eat certain foods. And then I would just overeat after the comp, but that went on even when I wasn't competing for about two years. So what happened then is on the weekend, I would just go overboard. I would eat Domino's, you know, Ben and Jerry's or whatever, but it would turn into essentially a binge or at least it was just overeating right? like excessively right so two three nights normally and that went on like friday saturday sunday let's just say uh, and then i would punish myself in the gym as well so i had that mentality of that's another thing when you do bodybuilding you get kind of critiqued against other people right uh so you get told this body part's not good enough that body part's not good enough so you know, it can give you body images as well. I think men don't really talk about this enough. I mean, I'm all good now. I've transformed, but back then I, w- I didn't used to like my leg, for example. So I would overeat. And then in the gym, the next day I'm punishing myself the next day. And I'm sure possibly, I reckon a lot of people can relate to this, right? Because sometimes we'll go overboard. We don't plan on doing it. We might essentially sabotage or just go too far on the weekend, for example. And then, we're, right, I've got to go and burn these calories now. And I've got to uh, kind of punish myself, so you're kind of driven by self hate, right? Uh, and that, <laughs> uh, and like I said, I was in I was in good shape at the wow. time. I'm not gonna lie, I was in good shape. So people were like, "Wow, this!" But no, I was driven internally by self hate. Whereas now it's it's self love. But that was a that was a process, you know?
1: Yeah. So you know, real interesting how um, uh, you know I guess anything you know can be taken to an extreme. Uh, and sort of, you know, a positive can certainly turn into a negative. And I think we can, you know, uh, discuss, we can apply that to many aspects of health. Uh, I just, uh, to, to take a little bit of a step back, you know, one thing I don't think we've really talked about, uh, uh, previously on the podcast is, you know, the difference between, uh, kind of bodybuilding, uh, what you were doing and strength training, uh, and, uh, you know, people might not recognize that, you know, there really are different approaches if you're trying to get, you know, kind of a better physique, uh, versus just building strength, just building muscle talk, talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. So I wish I would have known back when I was actually doing bodybuilding that actually, if you focus on strength, for example, maybe doing a lower rep range and actually just focusing on performance, because this is an important thing for the audience, regardless of age, when you focus on performance, so right, I'm going to focus on getting stronger. For example, I'm going to try and get stronger with my squats, my deadlifts, however that looks like to you. It switches your mindset away because let's be honest, you know, most people want to improve the way their body looks, right? At least 90% of people, let's just be honest. But if you focus too much on that, it becomes a bit obs- it can become a bit obsessive but also you don't really maximize the results so if i could go back i would have focused more on lower rep range and and kind of my programming would have been uh, more smart for example right so and for anyone listening back to this if they do strength training they go to the gym and lift weights right it's whatever rep range you're not doing, for example, is the one that's going to get you better results. So back then I was just, I was just doing like eight to 10 reps, eight to 12 reps, typical hypertrophy, bodybuilding training for years. And then I would do, then, like I said, I would hammer myself in the gym then and do the high volume stuff. But I always thought exactly what Phil said. Then I was like, Oh, okay. So strength train, if I do like, you know, maybe one to six reps or one to five reps and focus on getting stronger, that's not really going to help me aesthetically, but, it does, right? Because it's just another form of hypertrophy you get from that. And it just gives you, generally makes you, you kind of like add density to your muscles. So you you have to switch between each rep range and, and have a smart approach with it. But there's, the, the difference between the two is with bodybuilding, obviously, if we go to the extreme level, it's purely focused on aesthetics, right? It's like, how can I you know, fine tune things to look as good as I can for the stage. So essentially it's almost like you're looking for that freaky physique, right? You're looking to get conditioned and shredded. The word is right. But you're also looking to get proportion and symmetry, right? So it's, but I think people want that anyway. A lot of people want to aesthetically pleasing physique, right? But the, 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 the two tied together to answer your question. So, you know, cause you will see the study saying the best rep range is eight to 12 reps for hypertrophy, but actually it's not. Right, I've coached loads of people. I've been for it myself. The new research is actually showing that if you focus on performance and strength, that actually has a lot of carryover into into building muscle. So they all they all have value, but I think it's more the mindset thing to answer that question. Focusing on performance, whether that's, look, I want to do a pull up, right? Like a lot of my female clients, they want to do pull ups. So we work towards that. You know, it could even be something extreme like running a marathon, whatever that looks like to you. But if we go back to strength training, I want to hit my PB on, I want to hit, you know, I want to lift double my body weight on deadlifts, for example. When you set those goals and you focus on strength, the funny thing is your body follows because to get stronger and get those results performance wise, you know, you have to eat enough protein, you have to get good sleep, you have to recover appropriately. So the body tends to respond then as a, as a byproduct. And it takes the attention away from constantly trying to lose body fat and stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, great, uh, great point. You know, the mindset uh, part of this is so interesting. Uh, you know, they've done uh, studies uh, where they had people just picture, you know, lifting weights and really, you know, in their minds, that they were going through, uh, you know, lifting weights, like doing a curl, for instance. And they've shown that you can actually improve your strength, grow your muscles uh, just by doing that without actually lifting the weights. Uh, And then also that, you know, if they then take those people and, and put them into the gym, you know, how much more efficient they'll be uh when they're actually lifting the weight. So it's fascinating, you know, that sort of mind-body connection uh in this context. Um so uh, you know, uh this kind of leads us uh to the age-old question, you know, if someone comes to you and they are, you know, eating poorly and not exercising, you know, not doing any sort of resistance training uh, what, what do you tackle first? What do you think is more important? How do you, uh, kind of approach that person?
2: So generally with my program now, I have a prerequisite of at least six months, bare minimum experience with the strength training. That being said, I have coached a hell of a lot of people over the years, right. Who didn't have any experience, especially when I was personal training. Um, so with the example you used there, the first thing would be simply, if they're not doing any strength training, Right, I always say to people the cornerstone of what you're doing with your exercise, fitness, and health with your training element, it needs to be strength training. Right, so I would literally start someone with strength training. I would say to hire someone in person if you've never lifted weights before and you want to get into it and learn about the mechanics and actually get the consistency there and make that a, you know like a habit that you want to cement in, then definitely just start there. I would say to start there, and then I would um, I would do that probably for you know, a month, two months or whatever before I even, even a month, it depends on the person. Obviously the answer is always going to be, it depends. Right. But for the average person, strength training first, start there, get some momentum with that, maybe a month, two months. And then I would start looking at, so just to give you an example, a better, a better way to describe this when I used to personal train people, I would have them just lifting weights, focusing on technique. Before I even mention anything really about nutrition, I would wait a few weeks, maybe even a month. And then I would start making small changes with that. Okay. Let's have a look at how you're eating outside of the gym. And a very, uh, I think, helpful tool, I wouldn't recommend this long-term, of course, but just to track how much protein you're eating, there's so much value in that, even doing that for a few days or a week, right? It doesn't have to be you know, forever. Just to, because I would get my clients to go, right, let's have a look at how much protein you're eating first and foremost, right? And then I would get them to track it. And a lot of the times, especially if it's the average person, they're grossly under-eating protein. So that's an, I, would, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say easy win. It's a simple win for us then to go, okay, first thing we're going to do, increase protein intake. But the important thing is people try to change too much or they set unrealistic goals. Okay, I looked online. My protein target should be, let's say, let's say it's a 60 pound woman. I've got to have a pound because you know, they'll say about a gram of protein per pound of body weight is, I guess, you know, kind of optimal if you look into if you're looking to build muscle and everything else. So they're going from you know, maybe half that or a third of that. I'm gonna hit that target now, but you're not, you know, to be realistic, you're not the likelihood of you sticking to that and being sustainable with that is 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 slim to none. So I would start them off slow and just increase protein a little bit. If I can get maybe some protein in for breakfast, because this is a big thing where I see a lot of people go wrong, is and not necessarily go wrong, but they struggle to hit protein, is they're just having you know, really they're not having any protein for breakfast, essentially. And they're just having, you know, carbohydrates or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, they might have a little bit for lunch and dinner. And what I have found is a lot of people, they don't really know what high protein is as well. A lot of people kind of say, yeah, I eat a lot of protein. And then you get them to track. And it's like, you know, they've had like a handful of nuts, you know, a bit of cheese. And then if you're lucky, they've had like a protein shake. And again, they're grossly under eaten. So it's educating people. And that's why I think there's some value in just tracking that. Maybe, you know, you can use apps and stuff, just tracking it to get that awareness and understanding. So that would definitely be the first protocol call one let's get momentum of strength training and do it appropriately as well that's why i say you know you need to be doing it appropriately because a lot of people they'll just start lifting weights you know freestyle and workouts you know you got to and, and pushing too hard a lot of people are trying to try and go from zero to 100 that's what people tend to do so you've got to do it appropriately with the right intensity and you know technique and stuff then i would say protein right that's going to be the big rock because that's ultimately going to help you maximize results recover and that's a whole nother rabbit hole right you know it's going to blunt your appetite generally going to speed your metabolism up as well so your body burns more calories by itself uh, and that's the beauty of those two things lifting weights and having high protein your body's going to burn more calories by itself we had i had this chat with phil when we did the podcast you know you you want to get your body to automatically burn as many calories as it can by itself anyway if you're looking to level up your physique and health um so they're the first two big rocks and then obviously just movement is another is another kind of easy win really is just having a look at how much people are moving because a lot of people back then they used to come to me and go you know I I train a lot um they might already be doing strength training and then when you shine a light on their movement they're actually only doing like 3 4 or 3000 steps a day cuz they've got a sedentary job and they weren't even aware of that so again I'll maybe get them to get a fitbit or something like that track their steps and then they're aware of it okay let's start with an extra 15 minute walk a day or an extra 2000 steps so again setting realistic goals that I know that person can stick to, and that looks different from person to person. So they're the three kind of big rocks and sleep is obviously goes without saying that's always going to be number one, right? But that's another conversation.
0: I can remember, um, there was a period when I, I I had some physical challenges that kept me from lifting and I had heard what Phil had talked about that this this whole thing of visualizing yourself doing this, and I love deadlifting, so I'd lay in bed at night, and I would, in in a, as much detail as I could, visualize visualize myself loading the plates and stepping up to the bar and gripping it and bending down and feeling the bar pull up over my shins, and um. More than anything, it was it was kind of relaxing. I loved the feeling of doing that, and it gave my mind something to do rather than just run around like a a, a chimpanzee on crack. Um, but I can't say I ever saw strength improvements from that, and I'm wondering if it's because I it was also eating like crap at the time.
2: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Protein intake is when it comes to your strength and recovery as well. As well, right, It's key. But there's loads of factors that can come into that, really. But yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. And obviously, Phil will tell you as well. If it's like the old, you know, cliche analogy, right? If you've got a car and you put in poor quality kind of gas in it, right, at some point it's going to burn out. It's the same sort of thing, right? When you when you're fueling your body and going to the gym to to, to maximize performance. But yeah, there's loads of fat, and sleep is a big rock as well, right?
1: Yeah, let's uh, let's dig into the protein a little bit further. You know, yeah. uh, as you're well aware, the you know the the recommended amount of protein that the, the uh, at least here in the U.S., you know, the recommended dietary uh, allowance for protein is point uh, four grams per kilogram. Uh, of body weight. So it's actually about one fifth, uh, 20% of, you know, the recommendation that you mentioned, and that I certainly give, which is one gram per pound of body weight. Uh, So, you know, why do you think there's such a difference there in what the, you know, the mainstream recommendations are around protein intake? you know what what guys like you and I recommend for protein intake and then uh I'd also like to get your perspective on sort of you know what the best proteins are uh to be uh building that uh, dietary approach around
2: yeah so i would say first and foremost i mean if we go into that conversation of the advice that we get from the government and everything right i mean if we just like join the dots and in terms of nutrition, I mean, let's just be honest. It, to say the least, it hasn't hasn't necessarily been the best, right? So, I think when it comes to the protein intake, they give you that amount, which is essentially probably going to keep you alive, right? But there's a fine line between between having, I guess, I wouldn't even say that's adequate protein. The amount you mentioned there, to be honest, I would say for all the other things. The knock on effect of having enough protein, it's like it's factorial because when you look at that. I see this pattern time and time again, if someone, for example, came to me and the amount you were said there, which I think you said 0.4 grams uh, per kilo, they're going to be not making the best decisions with food. It just, it's just a behavioral pattern I've noticed because then they naturally tend to fill up the remaining amount of calories that their body, the signal their body tells them to eat, you know, they end up filling that up with, you know, fats and carbs. And then generally just their macro balance is out and they're, Ovary and calories a lot of the time. It's just a, a, a pattern that I picked up on, so that's the first thing there. And in terms of the why behind that, um, it's, hard, it's 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 kind of hard to answer that. But I really do think that it's just and there's a difference between optimal and survival, right? So surviving and thriving. And you know, there's new research coming out now anyway with with the, the higher amounts of protein uh, being beneficial anyway for lots of different things. But in terms of what you asked then about. Sorry, what was it, the second question then you said about uh, protein, types of protein?
1: Yeah, types of protein.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the types of protein, I would always say, you know, it's always going to come down to the animal proteins, right? I mean, we can't really argue that. The research is clear on this in terms of the bioavailability of the proteins, not just the number in grams, because you could hit, less. just say you hit an optimal amount of protein and you did it through plant based foods or you did it through animal based foods obviously the animal based foods not only are they get the proteins the amino acids going to be more bioavailable but also you're going to get depending on the types of animal sources you eat you're going to get a lot of micronutrients you're going to get all the benefits and the nourishment that you need from eating good quality obviously quality matters um animal based proteins right so i would say first and foremost um and it depends on what the person's goal is so if the person is you know looking to lose weight and it really depends but I would say just gem, as a general rule of thumb I would always go with the the grass-fed beef as as number one uh because obviously it's probably one of the only foods you could eat by itself and likely not get a nutrient deficiency but I definitely wouldn't necessarily recommend that right just want to be clear here I'm just giving you an example of of kind of how powerful it is because you get most of the micronutrients you need, minerals, et cetera, and a nice balance and the protein, proteins and fats. So you get pretty much all the essential nutrients you need uh, and high protein, right? Then obviously I would say eggs as well, you know, getting them in daily. Because again, the same sort of principle, egg white, yes. And an egg white, you're going to get say four grams of protein. In the yolk, you're going to get about two or three grams. But in the yolk, you know, an egg yolk is like the perfect protein. Multivitamin, basically, with the balance of micronutrients and the the, the balance of fats, etc. So I would I would go with those two as number one, and then I would just say any kind of uh, lean protein sources, whether that be chicken thighs or uh, chicken breast. Uh, you know, things like salmon. If you can get wild salmon or you know ocean fish, salmon, mackerel, those kind of things. If you can get good quality, because then again, you're getting omega threes, you're getting a lot of different other uh, nutrients in those foods, as well as the high protein. But then at the same time, if someone can't get away with many calories then you know it's tough to have those fattier like if they're having salmon and beef every single day, you know, it might be slightly too many fats for for some people. But again, I would say to just go for that really. Um and then, you know, a lot of people do struggle though, to be honest guys, to to hit it all through Whole Foods. Like if, we, if we be realistic here, most people are not going to eat that much meat. They're just not going to the average person. They're going to really struggle to hit high optimal protein with just real foods. So I always, well, with some of my clients, a lot of my clients are, qu- are quite an advanced level now, to be fair, but a lot of them, I still have, you know, having a protein supplement, but I only use that. A lot of people use this the wrong way. They just have it every day. I'll just have the protein shake and then I'll, but that should be secondary. You should always be thinking, right, how can I hit my protein target through single ingredient foods, you know, eggs, beef, chicken, fish, those kind of things, as opposed to having, you know, protein shake. Protein shake is great backup though. And if you're grossly under eating protein, I think it's going to be important to include that regular, at least to get you hitting the target. Um, and yeah, uh, plant-based foods, I just wouldn't really recommend as a, as a protein source, but if people, there might be a lot of plant-based eaters here and there's ways you can do it. I do have literally one client who's vegetarian and one who's plant-based and and we make it work. Obviously they do have to have a supplement and then they have to have like certain combinations of foods um, to kind of hit that, to, to make sure they're getting a good balance of amino acids, you know, hope that was yeah. helpful.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, The, you know, uh, the the plant-based the ve- the uh, non-animal protein approach becomes very challenging because uh they really don't provide that complete amino acid profile that you need and you have to sort of mix and match to uh to get that or supplement uh when it comes to protein powders and i agree with you you know uh they're they uh certainly shouldn't be your primary source of protein and they really should only be used if you know, you you just can't get it from whole real food in adequate amounts. Uh it, what what do you recommend when people are trying to figure out a good protein powder or, you know, uh protein supplement to use? Yep.
2: I always recommend generally I'll point them towards, you know, it's always the quality that matters, right? So I'll always point them towards some type of grass-fed, you know, uh good quality protein powder, where it's not just because I'll be honest, you know, most of these protein powders out there, they've got the artificial sweeteners in and stuff. And people are just not aware of that and not aware of the ones to look out for. So I just avoid, I get my clients to avoid artificial sweeteners as much as possible. Obviously, it's not you know going to be perfect in terms of never having them, but as much as possible. So with the protein powders, I would definitely point them towards some type of grass-fed uh, protein, depending on, on where they're at. Um, and there's a really good, uh, a really good plant-based one. I know as well in, in America, which actually has a really good, uh, balance of, uh, amino acids as well. And it tastes, tastes pretty good as well. So did you want me to name like brands and stuff, or do you want me to just give you an example of the types?
1: No, I think, yeah, just the types are, uh, good for us, uh, to kind of guide
2: people on. Yes, of course. Yeah, no, definitely go for a grass fed way. If you're going to get, and I always say to people, if you're going to eat a lot of beef, for example, I, I eat a lot of beef, um, so you got to make sure it's, it's grass-fed and grass-finished ideally. The same goes for a powder. If you can get good quality, like grass-fed or organic or whatever it is, ideally grass-fed because if it's organic, it can still be grain-fed. And just look at the reviews in, in your area and just go with, go with that one. And I would recommend paying a little bit more to get a good one as opposed to getting all the... There's and you look at the list of ingredients of in most of these things, and there's like 50 ingredients. All of the names you can't pronounce on there in terms of the ingredients, right? The chemical names. So avoid those ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and even and I don't know if this has kind of uh made it uh you know to Australia or outside the US, but uh recently uh there are actually two brands that I'm aware of that have introduced uh beef protein powders. So these are actually protein powders made from uh beef you know grass-fed grass-finished beef uh one of them even includes some uh organ uh organ uh you know bits in it i guess desiccated <laughs> organ whatever the term is uh but uh you know so that's a new, an interesting option as well and and that's kind of newer to the market uh from uh mm. But good way to get. You to. made a
2: good point there, Phil. Sorry, I better definitely touch on this, right? Because whey protein, a lot of people they can't tolerate milk, right? Most people can't yeah. tolerate lactose. So remember, whey protein is derived from milk, so a lot of people are not going to do well digest. And people don't they don't really have that awareness. They go, oh, you know, I got this whey protein and I'm bloated. Why is that? Well, it's derived from milk, so definitely be mindful of that with the dairy if you're uh, intolerant or you have issues digesting that, like I do and then i would just that's a really good point i forgot about that they have got some really good grass fed beef ones now right so that would 100% be a better option anyway in terms of the balance of uh proteins and stuff as well
0: maybe time to get a sponsorship uh, uh phil
1: uh yeah we uh we may be all, all i'll say is uh the one of the uh brands uh around uh animal protein uh beef protein powders we we've had a couple of the uh people behind that brand on the show in the past so uh but we, but we haven't worked out the sponsorship deal with them yet so I'll we'll have to work those guys over Well over if you
2: do Phil let me know yeah cuz a lot of my clients will benefit from that <laughs> There right, we so,
0: go So I want to summarize what I understand here Um I look at I look at the demographics of our listeners I try to pay attention to who's who's the fat part of our listeners and and I, I use that statistically, not uh, uh, anatomically. Exactly.
1: Um, <laughs> the less fat now <laughs> since they've been listening for, for the <laughs> amount of time.
0: So uh, the the majority of our listenership, our um, guys, are are tend to be male and tend to be um, guys like Phil and I uh 40s 50s and i might be slightly older than that but i'm not going to cop to it um and there they found something that resonates with phil's message to to get healthy so you don't end up getting your chest cracked open and having a heart surgeon work on you so what the message i'm hearing from you martin is uh start with Weight training, resistance training, even before you, you start worrying about the diet. And I think I understand why. So I want to drill down into the resistance training. Uh, we've got a, a, a man or a woman who's uh, plus 40. They're out of shape. They know it's time. They've made the commitment. They've got a brief amount of time on a daily or a, a every other day basis that they can do some sort of resistance training, what's the very best two or three things they should be doing?
2: Yeah. So I would say there's a couple of options, right? If you've got limited time, and I always say this is the best place to start anyway, but the best way to do it is the one that's going to make you more consistent always, right? So the body weights, starting off with your own body weights, literally doing body weights, maybe you could use some resistance bands, and just committing to say, you know, 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be like a small amount of time, just so you can get connected to your body with basic movements. Like if you've never done much strength training, simply just doing a squat. I used to get, to give you an example, I would get clients who'd never done any resistance training. I would get them just squatting down to a bench with their own body weight. So imagine you've got like a weights bench there, right? So it's you know, quite low to the ground-ish. And when you squat down, generally, you're going to be almost like you're sitting on a chair, like the back of your thighs are kind of parallel to the floor. I would get them to just squat down to the chair, sit on the chair for like a second, and then stand up, right? Literally do that, right? And just do a few sets, even one set of that, right? Like on your first session, for example, then you build it up. Then you try and do two sets the next time, and you just really gradually build it up. Um, so yeah, I would say if you've got limited time, I would say number one, I, I think the best option, um, if you've got experience with strength training, then, you know, just go and do compound movements, right? So you could do literally, you could start with two sessions per week. If you've got some ex- experience, go and do those compound lifts. You know, the, the, I would say the five movements you want to include each week, right. Is, you know, squats, uh, deadlifts, Bench press, maybe, um, and then some sort of row, like a cable row, and then like an overhead press. If you can include them into your program, you could even literally just do three exercises per workout, right? So you could pick those compound, but compound means, you know, you're using more than one muscle group. So if you know what you're doing, that's. but if you're a beginner, I would say literally to learn about the mechanics. And I would say there is a lot of value in just, if, you, if you're if you in a position to do it, just get an in-person trainer, just so you can understand the fundamentals. Um, or just simply do a body weight program, maybe get some sort of program. So you've got some structure there to follow and just go and do body weight or do that at home. Literally, like I say, squats, you could do, um, you know, you can use your own body weight and, and bands and stuff to do some upper body stuff. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated, but I would commit to doing literally just start off with like two sessions per week. If you could do two sessions per week and you can kind of cover the whole body. Um, if you're doing body weight, for example, you could do bodyweight squats. You could do like pushups or, or pushups on an incline. Cause a lot of people, you know, they're not going to be able to do pushups on foot, or even you could even put your knees down and do those type of pushups where it's, it's a bit easier, uh, get some resistance bands. Resistance bands are so inexpensive there. You could get them for like $20 or something, maybe $30. And just literally the ones with handles on the end, people can picture that now. They're kind of like the long rubber bands with the handles on there. You could tie that to something and do rows. Because postural stuff is so important because everyone has a weak posture. Basically, most people have weak postural muscles. So rowing movements uh, with the bands, uh, and then you could even just do an overhead shoulder press with the band, for example. Uh, that right there, you've done legs with the squats. You've done back with the rows. You've done an overhead shoulder press. And then you've done like chest incline push-ups, for example, or even chest press with a band. Just throwing out um, just basic strength movements here. So they're they're the areas you want. And once you've done that, because when you're doing shoulders, back and chest, you're actually working your arms anyway. So that pretty much covers the whole body. So it doesn't have to be complicated. So pick those compound movements and basically do them them frequently. Two workouts per week to start with, two full body workouts. Um, Then if you could just really focus on being more active on top of that uh, for the average person. So just, just walk more, uh, just keep it really simple and walk more like an extra 15 minute walk a day, for example. And that's going to be a great place to start, but where most people go wrong, so many people go wrong with this. They, they go from zero to a hundred. Yeah. And that's why most people fail because they, they, it's not sustainable. You you, yeah. you need to make changes that you can stick to. You need to make permanent changes. I want everyone to get this into their head. The changes you make need to be permanent lifestyle changes right? So you've got to start slow and you can add. And after a month, I've been consistent with those two sessions. Fantastic. I'll add a third session in, and then you build that momentum slowly over time, rather than throwing a kitchen sink in at the start and then essentially sabotaging, which unfortunately is what most people do.
1: What what would you say is a common uh, area that people neglect when it comes to resistance? So resistance exercise, you mentioned the postural stuff. Um, and uh I'd love to hear what, you know, people who come to you and maybe they've been, you know, training for a while, uh, but not really doing it in a well structured way. What what do you find is most often neglected in that?
2: Yeah, and that's most of the people that come to me nowadays, they're normally at a good level with their training and they're in pretty good shape, but they want to optimize and get to the next level. So what I'll do with these people is I'll look at like the programming they're doing, and for the most part, they're training hard. But they haven't got that smart piece, so they're doing the typical. I would doing the the split training where they are doing the typical bro splits. If it's a guy, or it might be a female, and what's she's the, just scared. What's the typical bro splits? The typical bro splits. Yeah, that is, you know, going chest one day, biceps one day, you know, back one day, shoulders one day. So essentially, they're training each body part only once in a week. This happens a lot. So they're
1: don't forget leg day, though. Leg day. Oh yeah, yeah! Skipping 40, the leg right. day, of
2: course. <laughs> that old chestnut. That's what I did for the when I started lifting when I was sixteen. I literally skipped leg for three years, and it came back round to get me then. So I had, to, I had to catch up for another three years. I was literally just training chest and guns for two years and I'm not exaggerating. So uh, <laughs> um, nothing to do with vanity, obviously or trying to attract the opposite sex at that age, you know, uh, of course it was. Um, but yeah, so basically it's the, they're not training the body parts often enough. So this is a really good point. Uh, something for the listeners to be aware of is if you spread the volume out over the week. So a lot of people come to me, they hammer in the volume in each session. So they might do chest on a Monday. Then they're not touching chest for another week. Legs on a Tuesday, no legs for another week, right? So they, instead of doing all of that volume, they, let's just give an example. Let's say they're doing, for argument's sake, 21 sets on chest in one session or 21 sets on legs in one session. Then they do it again a week later, right? If you spread that volume out, for example, over three days, so let's say instead of doing an hour of legs on a Monday, let's say you do 20 minutes Monday, 20 minutes Wednesday, 20 minutes Friday, right? So instead of doing maybe 21 sets in one session, you're doing seven sets Monday, seven Wednesday, seven Friday. The research shows you're going to get way better results, right? And this is this was a game changer for me about even around about seven years ago when I started tapping more into the science when I finished the bodybuilding stuff. And training at a moderate intensity generally, right? Um, so that's why full body training is, is more beneficial a lot of the times. So, hitting the body parts more frequently, it just changes the game. And people are blown away, like within the first, say, four weeks, they might have been training for a long time, years, maybe even decades, over a decade in some cases. And they see their body respond faster than they have in ages, just within that first month, because they're hitting the body parts more frequently. They've toned down the intensity a little bit. So, they're actually doing a little bit less intensity and they get better results. So, that is an important piece I think people should take away. And that's why I always say most people listening to this now, the average person, you know 80 to 90% of people or just everyone listening back to this you're going to get better results doing full body say two three times per week than you would be you know hammering each body part say you know five six days a week especially if you're just starting out because the likelihood of you, the behavioral thing the likelihood of you sustain him five to six sessions a week first and foremost forever is very low unless you're an anomaly and then secondly it's just not a smart approach you're going to get way better results for less time if you just do you know full body say two three times per week three times per week ideally and you just do say one or two exercises per body part one exercise per body part so it could be squats you know bench press it could be a pull up it could be a shoulder press and if you want to do arms or, and core on top of that fantastic that's a bonus and then you do different exercises each workout for each body part if that makes sense and that's going to maximize results so that that frequency different, that training frequency is key
0: different exercises for for each body part on different days yes so, so I'm going to do a full body workout three days a week. Yeah, but my shoulder—I mean, I'm going to do shoulders three days. I'm going to do some sort of shoulder work three days a week, but it's a different exercise each day. Is that what you're saying? Y-
2: yes, that that's right, that's right. And there needs to be a way I can send people uh I've got. I've got like something I can send the audience if you want me to do, send you the link or whatever, yeah. just so they they've got something to follow. But yeah. very simple. Good question. The compound movements, right? The old school movements are the ones that work. So, for example, let's just use legs, for example, uh, I always say to include, and pe- most people, you know, nine out of 10 people, they just can't squat properly with good form with a bar on their right. back. Like, nine I've, out, they I've just quit not.
0: squatting. I've just decided okay. it's not worth it. <laughs> uh, you've quit
2: altogether? Yeah, I deadlift. Okay, I okay, cool, cool. So, yeah, uh, I would say a goblet you squat. Know, I'm an old part. <laughs> Are you able to squat, though? You, you can squat with your body weight, and there's no injuries or anything preventing you from doing that? Oh, do yeah, I, I, yeah. Okay. Well, a simple thing would just be to hold a dumbbell in front of you, Jack. Instead, like, and do that like a goblet squat,
0: uh-huh. just
2: so you're doing that movement. Because obviously, it is a fundamental movement, right? We want to make sure we do that just for like longevity and stuff, and providing you I should have injuries.
0: said. I should have said I don't do back squats anymore. That's
2: oh, got you. Okay, that's fine. I was just trying to. I was trying to give a bit of uh, feedback then for the audience as well, because that would have been helpful for them as well. Because a goblet squat, but yeah, I, I would just say, for example, for legs, do some form of a deadlift. Again, that's a fundamental movement, right? Especially as we get older, you know, picking stuff up off the floor, hip hinge, you've got to be able to do that, right? So some form of deadlift is very technical. It's the highest risk movement. So I don't I have the disclaimer here. Don't just go and do barbell deadlifts from listening to this podcast. You've got to do it properly. So I'll get people doing, um, I would get people practicing the hip hinge first. So like a Romanian deadlift with a bar, for example, where you just hinge from the hips, so for the audience listening, your legs are kind of straight, you've got soft knees, you've got the bar in front of you or dumbbells, and you just, you you push it, you slide in your hips back. But again, I don't want to recommend people do this if they're beginners. You need to know what you're doing with that because it's, it's high risk. But some form of deadlift, uh, a single leg movement, then let's say on a Monday, you've got deadlifts, whatever type that is. It could be a sumo deadlift. It could be a single leg uh, deadlift with dumbbells or even a Romanian deadlift. Then on a Wednesday you could do um, some type of uh, single leg movement. So whether that's some type of lunge, ideally uh, reverse lunge, I always I would always say is the best because it's very functional. So two dumbbells by your side, step behind you or, or back step lunge, whatever you want to call it. Step behind you and then push off the front foot and kind of alternate legs. That's more functional because you get more activation on the glutes there. And then on the on the Friday, for example, for legs you could do some form of squat. So like a goblet squat and it really depends on how advanced a person is and what body parts they want to focus on more you know you could do two exercises for legs depending on the level of where you're at or if you need to develop them more uh, but that's just an example literally so one exercise um you know per and then you could do that for every body part so chest would be an incline press on a monday some sort of some form of flat press uh, with dumbbells on a wednesday and then a flat barbell press on a Friday, right? So again, it's not complicated. And for back, it would be a row, like a bent over row with a barbell on a Monday, a cable row, for example, on a Wednesday, and then a pull up on a Friday, right? So you see how simple it is. Just making sure you're doing those those movements which get you bang for your buck, essentially, and they're they're functional movements as well. Which which a lot of them we need to perform as we get older, you know.
0: I keep then- hoping somebody will will come up with a program that. um doesn't have any of that stuff in it that i don't like doing like, <laughs> like you just said the, the single leg stuff
2: i hate so do i yeah my clients hate workout. it as well yeah I yeah yeah it. i really <laughs> want bulgarian split to say, have you ever tried them jack say You <laughs> Ever tried bulgarian split squats has anyone oh, ever tried them god the most hated exercise oh on the planet
0: lord it's the worst
2: yes it's the worst <laughs> it's
0: absolutely the worst and I'm sure
2: it's probably pretty technical. I, I suspect I've done
0: it wrong, but yeah. Okay.
2: Jack, so, you made a good point there. And I just wanted to, sorry to interrupt, but I really want to hammer this point home because you made a really good point. When you go to the gym, everyone listening, right? I say this to clients, don't necessarily look at it as a workout, right? Look at it as I'm going to practice the movements, and this is, I guess, a bit of advice for you as well, Jack, when you do it. And it's funny because the movements, I do this, I fall into this trap. I don't, I stop doing the movements I don't like, but we know those movements are the ones we need to do more of for the most part because exactly. they are the ones that we suck at, right? And when we suck at stuff, we tend to avoid it, but we want to get better with the skill. So when you go to the gym, ladies and gents, just focus on that, right? I want to get good at the movements. I'm going to focus on practice in the movements like you would any other skill. It's very technical, right? Most movements. So when you have that mindset going into the gym, you get better results because you're refining the technique and nothing's going to beat that, you know?
0: I'll, I'll confess, I've never heard
2: anybody say it that way.
0: Just focus on perfecting the movement itself. That helps me. I That gives me a different way to think about those single leg things that I hate so much. Do you normally find uh, people are are asymmetrically... Are, are one side is stronger than the other? Is that fairly common?
2: Absolutely. And this is honestly, this is another easy win for client results because they avoid those movements. It's not easy. I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of that word. It's a simple win, right? It's not easy. It's a simple win. Simple and easy are different, but Those single leg movements, everyone needs to do more of, to be honest, including myself because I tend to avoid them, right? I make excuses. Oh, it takes so much longer doing the single leg deadlift, you know, because it adds a bit of excuses. So I just like to go in and just rip, you know, rip the weight like most of us, but um, I always do force myself to go back to that. Yes, everyone has discrepancies. Most people, pretty much everyone. So one side is more dominant. Uh, and that's how people end up getting injured as well as these subtle imbalancements that they have that you're not really aware of. You're distributing more side on one, on, you know, wall, more weight, for example, on one side when you're doing yeah. a deadlift. So that's why, you know, a single leg deadlift is actually very technical uh, movements. But, you know, practicing that, like I say, the practice in word, um, practicing that and getting good at it. And literally just you can do this with no way. This is a fantastic movement for the audience. Just balance on one leg. And just reach out and and touch your toe, keeping your spine straight, of course, so you're not just like rounding your lower back. Back straight, balance on one leg, right? Touch your toe. And even better, if you can pause at the bottom, right, for maybe five seconds where you're touching your toe and then stand up. Do 10 of those on each side and a few sets of that. And that's essentially the same movement as a single leg deadlift. Start there. Do those toe touches. It gets you connected to uh, the movement and obviously improves balance and stability. Uh, and those two things, balance and stability are the key things uh, with those movements. But yeah, just to answer your question, those single leg and single arm movements, you'll actually get way better results. You'll build muscle. So number one, you're going to build muscle, more muscle by doing those movements. And that even that even, um, even single leg, uh, single arm rows, or it could be like an alternate arm dumbbell press, you know, lunges, Bulgarian split squats, any unilateral movement, which is single arm or single leg, you're going to build more muscle because it's novelty for the body and it's a weakness you have. And also, you're going to get stronger when you go back to, say, squats, for example, or deadlifts. You get so much carryover, and you, you really kind of increase your strength then on those movements as well from, from doing that.
1: You know, before we uh, wrap up this masterclass on training, and this really, I think, has been great, uh, one other uh, thing uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on, one of the things that I have found most useful in uh, advancing my training is slowing down. Uh, you know, and you mentioned it before that, you know, we want to go in there and rip out those sets and just, uh, you know, bang them out as quickly as possible. Uh, but, uh, you know, really taking the time to do a set properly and slowly to do each movement, you know, kind of properly and at a controlled pace, uh, I find is a, a big game changer when it comes to, comes to, uh, resistance exercise.
2: I'm glad you said that, right? Because I almost skipped the most important part there, which is the tempo. And this is something I'm always playing with with clients. For example, for the audience or for you guys, right? How many times you look around the gym and see people doing slow reps? I mean, it's very rare. I I don't think I ever see it, to be honest, right? No one does it. Pretty much not anyone does it. You know, again, you know, it takes longer to do the session. That's my excuse. It just takes too long. I want to be in and out in an hour. But no, that is one of the most important, I would say, the best variable you can play with is just simply slowing down the reps and taking the weight down. I can't stress this enough, especially guys, because when I used to coach guys back in the day, it'd be like, yeah, you know, I can do more weight. No, you can't. Actually, we're going to take the weight down and focus on your technique, whereas generally females would be, oh yeah, I don't think I can do more, but they can. So slow down the reps. um, And if you can do, for example, like a three second negative portion of each rep, right? So for example, when you're doing a squat, three seconds roughly on the way down, pause at the bottom for one or two seconds, and then come up for maybe one second, right? So there's slow reps. You know, each rep's going to take you five or six seconds, but that negative portion, remember for everyone as well, generally, you're actually damaging the muscles or, or essentially, I guess, sending a muscle building signal more on that negative portion of the rep. So like slow down on the way down on the lower end portion of the rep. So whether that's a squat or a dumbbell chest press as you're lowering it down to your chest, Three seconds, pause at the bottom for a second or two, and then push up. And you do that on all those movements, and I guarantee you're going to get fantastic results. And a lot of people talk about, I don't want to kind of overwhelm people here with information, but a lot of people talk about you know progressive overload, which is the key for building muscle. For example, you have to add more volume, whether that's simply adding a little bit more weight week on week or or adding more reps. But no one ever talks about slowing down the reps. And that is another way to overload the body. I would argue for most people, the best way to overload the body, slow down the reps instead. Or I do this with clients, slow down the last three reps on every set, right? Do that on every single set. Just slow down the last three reps, make them slow, make them painful, right? And watch what happens, right? So that is, I'd say, one of the most important variables. And I would get, I'd I love everyone to kind of really focus on that because that, that that makes you focus, it forces you to focus more on technique and that mind muscle connection as
0: well. Ooh, that's that's a that's a good point. There is that I'm at the end of a set, and that's normally where you're not physically wearing out, but you're kind of mentally wearing out. And if I force myself to slow down there, um, aside from this this exercise of the will to make it happen i'm also having to focus much more on the actual technique because that's where we get injured is right is when the technique breaks down seems like it i know it, it's been for me i love that i've i've picked up a couple of little things here today that i've i've never heard before we'll go back yeah i think this, this has been a uh...
1: This has been a great uh, masterclass on uh, on training, and uh, you know certainly uh, a, a very important uh, aspect of uh, improving your health. Uh, so, uh, Martin, for people that want more, and I'm sure they're going to want more now, uh, how do they uh, connect with you?
2: Yes. So, first of all, thanks for having me on. I really really enjoyed that. Some great questions there as well. So, yeah, you can find me on. My podcast, first and foremost, is Optimize Your Body. It's Optimize, not spelt the American way. It's spelt with an S-E on the end instead of a Z-E. So Optimize Your Body is on all platforms. Definitely check that out. So much good content on there. Uh, my main platform, I guess, is Instagram. So I would definitely follow me on there at Fitness. And yeah, in terms of any coaching inquiries and stuff like that, the link is in my bio on Instagram. But, um, yeah, so you can just basically there's a coaching inquiry form basically in the link of my bio on Instagram. Um, I currently don't have a website. I'm just building a new website at the moment. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much the main, uh, two platforms, I guess. I'm, I think I might be missing one here, but yeah, the best way is just to go to my Instagram because the link of my bio got my YouTube channel and stuff there as well, which is, uh, Martin silver fitness.
0: All right. Very good. And you mentioned you had a, uh, a giveaway or something that you provide for
2: our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a few actually. I've got, I would just, just come to mind then I've got one, which is like a four week training program basically encompassing the stuff I talked about then the full body stuff, but there's actually a foot. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, there's one resource actually, it's got some nutrition stuff in there and training and an example training program, like a one month kind of phase. So I think that'll be the best one. Yeah. I can send that over to you if you want. And I think the link there is you put your email address in there and you subscribe is for my email newsletter so you click it, you put your email address in, and then, you know, you get my emails or whatever twice a week and you get the, the resource as well. So it's up to you. I can either send you that link or I can just send you the resource wherever you guys would prefer. I'm happy to send that over. Very good. Yeah,
1: perfect. Go ahead, send the link. And we'll, I think, uh, sure I think I, I've think I got notes.
0: that. I think I've got that through the, his link tree. Uh, perfect. Uh,
2: oh, that's right. That's the one. Yeah, I think.
0: Yep. Yeah. All right. So we'll provide all that information, uh, all these links in the show notes for our listeners it 'll be there um very good well Martin uh, this I've really enjoyed this. Um, normally we get real scientific and nutrition and calories and white blood cells and and, and 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 I I dig that stuff I really do um, but I didn't have any idea I was uh, this has been it's been personally inspiring for me today. Uh because I've been a little stuck to be frank. I've been a little stuck with the lifting lately. And uh it's just inspiring to have somebody talk me through some of those things. I think I feel like I've got a mental strategy now to uh to kind of break me out of my rut
2: and uh, I'm appreciative. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate your kind words. All right, I have one more That's question a bit, that's for a big you. word. You just just blew my ego up. So thanks for I that. Have, I have <laughs> one more question for you, and this may take you right back down.
0: What happened to Go your, ahead. what happened to your Welsh accent?
2: I know it's it's weird, right? It's kind of all over the place now. My accent to me, in my head, I still sound what well, we call them valley command. <laughs> I don't know if people have ever some people might unfortunately would have seen the MTV thing back in the day called the Valleys. So for anyone who doesn't know in Wales, you've got, I'm from the city, the capital Cardiff. And outside of that, generally, you've got the valleys, which is like mountains and then little suburbs. And They call it the valleys, essentially. But in my head, I sound like what we call a valley commando. <laughs> I sound really Welsh here in my head. But people say, no, you've got like a weird accent. It's like a bit of Australian and a little bit of Welsh. And then you don't sound Welsh anymore. So I don't know what's happened to it, Jack. <laughs> well,
0: I think I think pretty well all the, all the English-speaking world as a rule, loves to hear the Australian accent. So it was probably a wise decision on your part to, to pick that up. I
2: approve. You sure? It's a win.
0: <laughs> all right. For Martin Silva and Dr. Philip Ovedi, I'm Jack Heald. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast, and we'll talk to you all next time.